a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fans. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 26. And this is the episode for Monday, December 6th. 2010, the last Star Wars Monthly Monday of 2010. Aw, that makes me sad. I guess. It just means another year that we've survived (laughs) outliving (laughs) all the other podcasts. Crushing them below our wheels. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, enjoy December. Enjoy 2010 because we're bringing 2011 in with a a vacation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the two true freaks will be going on vacation in January, which sounds like you're not going to get any two true freaks, but we're actually going on podcast vacation, which means, uh, which means at the middle of December here, I'm traveling down to, to Florida to visit Scott and we're going to do a lot of podcasting. So you're going to get, you'll probably get your star Wars and your star Trek monthly Mondays, but you're going to get a lot of different different fun stuff because we're going to be doing some oh man we're going to be doing lots of fun stuff there's going to be Disney World there's going to be Tron we're probably going to be visiting some Florida friends so uh, it'll be Christmas time so there'll be all sorts of excitement so expect January to be an uh, an unusual and eventful Two True Freaks month yeah it's going to be fun there's going to be a lot of um I'm traveling. I'm just now. I've got all the components I need for my traveling podcast kit, so I can basically on the road be recording and editing exactly as if I was here um, in front of my computer, except in just a probably less comfortable chair in a Greyhound station or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and once I get the Scots, I could you know. I can even uh, bust out my my real mic, so we'll have the we'll sound the same. And the only thing is, uh, and what's really funny is this time we'll be in the same room, but it'll probably sound <laughs> the same as the you know when people hear us recorded over Skype. But 
But the energy will be different because we'll be more, we'll be riled up. So I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, expect some some fun. <laughs> yeah, wait. I guess I just killed the conversation. <laughs> Jesus. Woohoo! Let's hear it for fun. All right, let's get on with the Star Wars. Then. Jesus Christ. Well, first we first we need to introduce ourselves. You skipped right over the. Uh, you skipped right over the introductions. Yeah, I hope they know who I, we are. But if you're just jumping in for the 26th episode for Two True Freaks, you don't know what the hell's going on. Get in line, man. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my best friend Scott Gardner. Who did I hey, mention I'm cool. going to be going to visit in, in a couple weeks? <laughs> oh, I just assume everybody cool. knows everything about us already, you know? No, no, no. I subscribe to the Jim Shooter school of podcasting. You know, Jim Shooter, you know, his, his philosophy of comics was every issue is potentially somebody's first. I, I, I subscribe the same way to podcast every every episode is potentially somebody's first so. oh yeah oh good so we can pretend that that we're not assholes because they haven't figured it out yet <laughs> now we know what the hell we're doing <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah star wars monthly monday 20 scott 26 that's awesome well i want to start off with i've got to throw out some thank yous to some folks and uh, right off the bat, huge, huge, mega awesome thank yous to uh, our buddy Alan Leach Jr., who has recently sent me um, what I would classify as care packages, just uh, a couple of different packages he sent me of just tons of just random awesome stuff. He, he basically, he, he emailed me and he's like, dude, I'm cleaning out my attic. I found all this stuff. You know, are you interested in all this? And I'm like, you know... If it's free, it's for me. So he sent me this box, and it, there was, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. There was books and comics and audiobooks and all this stuff. But as it relates to Star Wars, check this swag out. He sent me a, a whole stack of issues, beginning with issue 17. Let me see here. I got issue 17, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27... A whole bunch of issues all the way up to, this looks like 32, and then some specials, all kinds of different things. This is the original Bantha Tracks, the original official Star Wars fan club magazine. Oh, lucky. Yeah. You know, my parents never let me subscribe to the, or, you know, let me join the Star Wars fan club when I was a kid. I always wanted to. And I don't know what the story was. We we're always too broke, or they were trying to discourage me from, you know, being such a Star Wars geek or whatever. I never did get to subscribe, and I always wanted to read about. Well, you, you know, know it's, wanted... it's it's not cheap to be the parent of a Star Wars geek in those oh, days. Yeah, yeah, well, even not now, at all. even yeah, especially now. There's there's that much more stuff out. But, you know, I, I'd heard about Bantha Tracks. I don't know that I ever actually laid eyes on one as a kid, but I remember reading about them or hearing about them from other people, how awesome they were and all this great, you know, wealth of information that was in there that, you know, was exclusive because it was, you know, exclusive stuff released through the Star Wars fan club and all that. 
So finally got my my hands on a big old stack of these, um, you know, from Alan. And then also in there, and this actually I think is my favorite thing of, of everything he sent. And then believe me, he sent me just tons of awesome stuff, a whole bunch of promo posters, all kinds of really great stuff. But just being the, the super Star Wars fan that I am and, and super Disney fan that I am, he sent me... It's still in the original package, never been opened. This is an early, early product from Star Tours, when Star Tours released at Disneyland. And it's a pack of 3D holographic stickers from Star Tours. And there's a whole bunch of awesome ones. You know, there's the Star Tours logo, there's the Star Speeder ship, there's uh, Captain Rex, R2 and 3PO, and then there's a bunch of ship ones that are... You know, the Millennium Falcon and a TIE Interceptor and an X-Wing. And they're just really cool. But they're those old school holograms. You know, like, if you ever saw the covers to those anniversary issues of Spider-Man back in the 90s, you know, and they all had the the hologram covers on them. It's that kind of hologram. It's sort of a a 2D hologram. Yeah, almost, yeah. It's it's, it's It's the sort of rainbow diffusion hologram. Right, yeah. But I just, I really love this. It's awesome. It's dated on here as 91. So, I mean, Star Tours hadn't been around long at all uh, when this came out. Plus, it even has the original Disney sticker still, you know, the price sticker still on it, $2.95. And just knowing Disney like I do, I can pretty much guarantee there's probably not anything in the Star Tours gift shop today that you could purchase for two ninety five. Right, so that tells you how old this is. You know, right. The gumball machines are five dollars in there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, and then I got another package from him the other day where it was even more stuff, and there was some posters and some different things, and some stuff for you, uh, Mister huh? 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 That What? What? It'll be it'll be waiting for you when you arrive. But amongst all the stuff that was in there, some Star Trek stuff, some posters, and everything was an issue uh this is issue number two of star wars return of the jedi this is those fold-out poster magazines yeah you this, right yeah i got a couple and of those i don't think i have this but i'll need to check my collection and see if i've already got this i'll pass it on to you but i don't think i have this particular one but on the cover it's got a uh, uh wicket on one side and jabba on the other and it says inside jabba the hut's court fantastic poster inside and all this it's really cool i love these articles because they were always really in depth and and gave you a lot more you know like behind the scenes information and stuff on the characters or you know the people behind you know the the star wars movies and Mm -hmm. stuff like that so huge thanks to uh to alan you know that this is awesome i really really appreciate especially the bantha tracks i can't wait to dig into these the very first one here, number 17, has got a huge uh, article interview with uh, Ben Burt, the sound designer for Star Wars. And you know, I've always been a big fan of Burt's work, so uh, really looking forward to, to reading about that. I know I probably told you, you this story. I don't know if I've ever told it on the show, but you know I, I had the first issue of Bantha Tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Star Wars came out, my dad immediately signed me up for the fan club because when he was a kid, he always got signed up for like you know the you know Dick Tracy fan club or you know whatever at the time, uh-huh. um, probably you know Cowboy something. And so he's oh you got if you like Star Wars so much you got to belong to the fan club and you'll get a newsletter. I'll bet you they'll send you stickers and stuff. And they did. They sent like a Manila em- envelope with you know 
your thing that you'd sign your name on, your official certificate and stuff. And God, I wish I knew what happened to that stuff. You know me, I'm a pack rat. I can't believe. I don't remember I ever still... seeing any issues of Bantha tracks. Well, so it, that's the, weird that you would have had them and I never got to see them. I don't know? know what a later one like you have has, but um, the one that I had was very nondescript. It was eight and a half by eleven paper. It was uh-huh. maybe like four pa- maybe like four pages long. You know, it was and it was on sort of heavy paper. And it was very corporate looking, you know, it wasn't yeah, like, that's how these look. it wasn't yeah. like Star Wars, you know, hey, like designed to catch your eye. It was pretty, you know, it was, it had that feel of like an official newsletter within Lucasfilm where they don't have to show, you know, it was more about the people behind the scenes and, right. and, a, and a very, I, I don't want to say dry, but I guess it was pretty dry. You know, it was it was stri- it was it was just neat. You felt as a little kid, you felt like you were getting something, you know, that nobody else was getting, or that was, you know, really associated with the inner workings of. Oh, I, I know completely what you mean because at Disney we get something that's called Eyes and Ears magazine, and they come out every so often. I think it's once a month or once every couple of weeks or something to that effect and it's just like what you're talking about Um, the the size is different but it's essentially the same thing it's it's an inner company save those because years down the line those will be fascinating to read way ahead of you buddy i have i have uh i bought them in a garage show you know kodak is big here in rochester and i have like five years worth of the kodakian and there was a magazine <laughs> called the Kodakian that was just like a sort of a photography magazine, but this was the one that you got if you worked at Kodak, and it was, and it was printed beautiful. You know, you could tell it was the heyday when Kodak was making money hand over fist, and you know would do you know employee of the month, and here's Bob Jones down in you know section sector four working. You know, it had that total you know Mr. Burns kindly plutocrat you know it, it's it's just they're just fascinating to read even though i've never worked at kodak it's you know they're 60 years old or whatever they're they're amazing and i'll bet you the disney stuff for the people who used to own our house before us owned uh stock in disney so that their disney stock report would get mailed here every year and oh my god talk about your fascinating reading it was awesome <laughs> it was it was it was fascinating you know to hear disney saying well this year we did really we had this movie called you know blah 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 if you haven't heard of it and it was it did really good but well, s- speaking anyway. of uh oh, i'm sorry uh, well, I I'm sorry, I'm so, yeah i was just gonna say anyway i should probably shut up now <laughs> I'm getting off the Star Wars. I was going to say, but (laughs) (laughs) but no. Speaking of Disney, my uh, my other big thank you I have to give out. um, Let me preface it with a with a short story. Um, For those that don't know, um, I'm a cast member at the Walt Disney World Resort, and uh, I've uh, been working monorail platforms, uh, awaiting you know the start of my training for monorail driving. Monorail, and I have found that I really, really love working the platforms. I, I really, you know, I didn't think I'd hate it or anything, but I really didn't you realize it would sort of be the schlep work of monorail yeah, I, I, world. Kind, yeah, monorail. I didn't really want to say it that way, but kind of. I, I thought it would be, kind of be the equivalent of being the, the cashier. You know uh-huh. what I mean? You, but I found that I really, really love it. You know, because you, that's where all the guest interaction is. 
and I really, you know, it's it's completely different from say like customer service, you know, because customer service, in a lot of ways, you're 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 going to deal with people that are you know foul tempered or, or that sort of thing, you know. But but Disney World, it's a completely different environment. Yeah, and uh, and I really have have come to really enjoy this. And and one of the things I do as kind of a conversation starter is I'll comment on people's apparel particularly if they have geek shirts, you know? So the other night I was working um, the load platform at the Contemporary Resort, and this guy had an awesome Star Wars t-shirt. And Chris, you remember the, the, the um, shot from Star Wars, the first Star Wars? I think it was even on... Um, oh, you know what? I know it was on one of the Wonder Bread cards, and it was the shot of the Stormtroopers holding their blasters it's that part they're of the holding it they're, at their midriff and it's just yeah. sort of the blast of the yeah they're, they're, it's the part where they were charging the up door. that little teeny tiny hallway chasing yeah. Luke and Leia to the chasm it's that shot oh okay well, yeah, he yeah. had this on a t-shirt and I come and I was like oh you know that's a great t-shirt and it was an instant icebreaker and we fell into a conversation about Star Wars and we were talking it up and everything and then, you know, I was asking you know, so where are you folks visiting from and all this and as the uh, monorail pulled in and monorail. these folks were going to board, suddenly the guy I was talking to, he hands me some trading cards. Now, as a cast member, you know, working in monorails, we have monorail. uh, trading cards that we actually give out, you know, when people ask for them or we just feel, you know, we've got a little time for guest interaction. We, we have a set of monorail cards that we give monorail. out. Suddenly, I've got a guest giving me cards. And, you know, I was busy at the time. I was trying to load up and everything. So, I, you know, I said thank you, but I didn't really have time to look at the cards or anything. So they boarded and they left. And then I got a chance to look at what had actually been handed to me. And it was a card. It was two cards. And it was um, from this guy and the woman that was with him. Now, I assume that they're husband and wife, but um, that, that may not be the case. But anyway, his name was Mark. And I hope I pronounced this last name correctly. Seidler. It's S-E-I-D-L-E-R. And uh, Debbie Seidler. And they are members of 501st. And ah. the trading card of Mark is him. And he's in a, star, uh, a Stormtrooper outfit. And it just says Stormtrooper. It says TK6134 Mark Seidler. And it shows him in his, his outfit. And you turn it over and it's a, a picture of him. Again, still in his stormtrooper outfit, but with his helmet off, so you see what he looks like, and it's giving like his name and you know rank and all this information about him. And then same thing with Debbie; she is actually in a Tie Fighter pilot uniform. Oh. And then you turn it over, and it's the same thing. She's still in her uniform, but with her helmet off and everything, gives her name, rank, and all this information. And these are some sort of like official trading cards based entirely on the 501st. I thought this was really awesome. So um, I have uh, sent a friend uh, request off to them through uh, Facebook, and hopefully, uh, you know, if they accept me, maybe we'll uh, be able to get them on sometime because that was one of the things we talked about was the 501st. I'd like to know more about it. You know, I, I've seen them, you know, at parades and different functions and, and everything like that, but I really don't know all that much about them, and I'd like to know more, you know? But I thought that was really, really nice that, you know, a guest gave me something, you know, or it's, it's supposed to be my job to do things for them, you know. It's funny. I had a Stormtrooper apparel moment yesterday on my way to the store. And as as you know, it's winter here in, in northern New York, and it's colder than a witch's tit outside. 
So I had to venture to the store. Well, actually, I was venturing to band practice, but I was like going to the store in between. And uh, I'm just walking down the parking lot of the store, and I hear somebody walking up on wa- walking up behind me, you know, walking up on me behind me, and they have like you know how when someone's walking with a plastic bag mm-hmm. that uh, it sort of is bumping against their side, and you can hear it sort of and. You know, I just got that feeling as somebody's checking me out, you know. So I'm a little on my guard because, you know, I mean, it's right down the street from where we used to live. You know, that street can be a little seedy or whatever. But I'm in the parking lot of a well-lit store, so I'm not thinking anybody's going to come up and mug me or anything. But I'm still being aware of right. somebody coming up behind me. And I'm, and I've got my, I've got like this UPS jacket, but under it I've got my Stormtrooper hoodie. So I've got the hood up. <laughs> and so I'm trying to turn my head, and I can sort of see through the eye slit. There's mesh where the stormtrooper eyes are. And so I'm trying to see who's coming up behind me, and I can't see anybody. And I'm like, that's weird. It's like they have they saw me looking and cut the other way. So now I'm starting to get suspicious. And so I'm like, all right, so why are they avoiding me looking at them? And so I look the other way, and I don't see anybody. And I'm like, all right, now they're cutting you know, either way, or they're just shadowing right behind me. Now I'm starting to be like, okay, now my, my radar is up. And then they walk by me. And the reason I couldn't see him is it's a little kid. <laughs> so I was looking oh. right over his head and he's a little kid and he's, you know, a little black kid with a bag of, of uh, empty cans. He's going in to get some change in for some candy. He just looks at me. He goes, I like your hoodie. And I'm like, hey, thanks, kid. <laughs> like instantly just like, oh, all right. <laughs> Somebody was checking me out, but they're just checking me out because it's cool Star Wars. Star Wars, bringing people together. I- I'll I tell you what, it's it's great when adults see you. But I love when little kids are just like, little Star kids, Wars. Yeah, yeah I love yep. that shit, man. Seen a lot of little kids Makes me at, uh, at Disney wearing wearing Star Wars T-shirts or something, or uh, a lot of them are collecting like the Star Wars pins. And I, I've really, really been trying to resist the collector bug when it comes to the pins, but I don't know how long I'm going to be able to hold off on that <laughs> because there are some really, really awesome ones. Do you get and, a discount? Uh, Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well, there you go. That's yeah. even worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for thank yous. And again, uh, uh, thank you to uh, everybody, um, Alan, uh, Mark, and Debbie. Uh, I, I really appreciate it, guys, very much. Um, I did have a couple of books to talk about. Do we want to take a little break before we get into that segment? No, I say we march right into it. All right. Well, first up. I read a book that I really enjoyed and I was kind of leery going into it because I just, you know, I really didn't think that I'd get all that much out of it. But I went in with an open mind and I really, really dug it. This is Star Wars, The Paradise Snare. This is volume one of the Han Solo trilogy. Now, this is a different Han Solo trilogy than the one that came out back in, when was that, Chris? Like late 70s? Like seventy eight, seventy nine, yeah, something like was that. that. There was a, there was, was that the Brian Daly one? Was Brian the first, Daly, yeah. Was the first three. This, Han this Solo is at different. Stars End. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, Han Solo at Star's End and all those. This is a different one. This is another Star uh, Han Solo trilogy. This one is written by A. C. Crispin, and uh, 
I had read a couple of her Star uh, Star Trek books. She wrote um, one of the most popular Star Trek books ever was uh, one called Yesterday's Sun. And I remember having read that I when I was a that. kid. Yeah, I really liked that. So it gave me hope that, you know, maybe this wouldn't be too bad. Well, it's funny, just before you get started, when you mentioned the title, I thought, that sounds more like the title of a Star Trek book yeah, than a Star does, Wars actually. book. So that's funny. But it it turned out that the basic story in this one is uh, it starts out and Han Solo is very young and it gives bare bones background to Han. He's basically he knows his name is Han and that's all he really knows. He's he's a, a, a young man without much of a memory. He doesn't know where he came from. Um, who his parents were, anything like that. He knows he's a Corellian, and that's about it. And he's a crew member slash slave, I guess you could almost say, um, on this basically like a pirate ship. Like an indentured and indentured servant. Type. Exactly, yeah. He He's kind of indentured to this guy who reminded me a hell of a lot of Crimson Jack from the, from the Marvel comics. It's not that character, but it, the guy reminded me a lot of that. And this guy basically goes around and rounds up like basically like homeless children, you know? And then uses them in all these schemes like from begging to pickpocketing oh so like, yeah whatever. so he's like fagin from very much yeah, so okay very much so and han finally has enough of this guy and decides he you know he's tired of being used and abused and he's gonna strike off on his own and during the course of him striking off on his own the woman that has basically raised him and been the only mother he's ever really known is this ancient Wookiee. So right off the bat, there's there's a Wookiee um, element introduced into the story. And something happens to her, and it kind of forges Han and the way that he's going to be, you know. You, you can see where this is like the changing point of his life. He ends up, he uh, ends up because of his exceptional piloting skills, he's almost like an Anakin Skywalker analog in a lot of ways. He's, he's, he's always had these really good skills with piloting. He ends up working on this world that's controlled by the Huts, And there's, they have this elaborate scheme working on this world where they're recruiting people that they call pilgrims and bringing them into this like quasi-religious fold with the promise of, you know, religious fulfillment and elation and all that. But it turns out to be this elaborate scam where what they're really doing is they're bringing these pilgrims in and they're just working the hell out of them as slaves for this spice mining operation. And it's a, a very involved plot, but it's really done very, very interestingly in, in the way that these people are being manipulated. Well, Han ends up falling in love with one of the slaves, this, this very attractive girl. And over the course of the story, it becomes this plot of how is he going to get her away from this situation? How is he going to wake her up from this religious thing that she's into, this fervor and this stupor, and take her away? And how are they going to get away? And how are they going to survive on their own and all this sort of thing? Um, I don't want to give too much of it away, but I got hooked in when they got into that element of the story because 
obviously by the time that we're introduced to Han Solo in, in Star Wars, you know, he's he's not involved. Um, right, you know, she's out of the picture. She's out of the picture, so it becomes one of these things of, oh God, what's going to happen to her, you know? That hooked its claws into me right away because I instantly really liked this character. You know, I mean, she's she's really fleshed out well in this novel, and you come to care about both her and the relationship because Han's really crazy for this girl. So all through the book, it was one of these, you know, you really enjoy the building of their relationship, but there's also that dread in the back of your mind <laughs> yeah. of what's going to happen to her. I'm not going to spoil it other than to say that it, the story really broke my heart. Character development it, happened to her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, excellent, excellent read. I'm about a third of the way into the next book and uh, enjoying that uh, very much as well. I highly recommend it. I, I think that uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, you'll really enjoy it. I think if you're a Han Solo fan, you'll really enjoy it. And it just really blew me away because... You know, while I like Han Solo, I like Han Solo in the ensemble cast. You know, that's one of the reasons I think I didn't much, I didn't get much out of the original Han Solo trilogy because it was just him and Chewie kind of bumming around and it just didn't really do anything for me. I like it better when it's, you know, Han and Luke and Leia and, you know, everybody all together. But this one, you know, despite being, you know, Han on his own, it was still really, really enjoyable. She wrote a fantastic Star Wars story, and uh, I think you guys will really get a kick out of it. So that's, uh, again, that's uh, Star Wars Paradise Snare by uh, A.C. Crispin. Check it out. And uh, as I read the uh, the other ones in the series, I'll report on those as well. But uh, yeah, one of the uh, one of the better books I've, re- I've read so far uh, in my read through the Star Wars EU. Well, what you just said just reminded me of something. Is I don't uh-huh. know if we've met, did we mention this on the the show? You were talking about solo Han Han Solo adventures, right? Have we mentioned that that computer animation that no. turned up? Oh, that was great! Yeah, you got to talk about that. What was but the name I'll, of that? that I don't remember great. the name of it, but I'll link it on our Libsyn page. I'll 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 put it up yeah. on the Libsyn page to see because it is fantastic. It's a bunch of it was a, I think it was a film school. It was a whole class of students, although there was like, you know, a main director and writer, but they all worked on the, the animation of it. And it's animated sort of, it's animated Clone Wars style, you know, it's that figure, 3D figure animation sort of cartoonish. But it's a little more, it's a little different. It's got a little more clay feel. I, I don't know, not really, but you know what I mean? to it to like I don't know Chewie looks really yeah. good and it's basically a little solo adventure uh, with Han and Chewie it reminded you know? me of of the um, the Star Wars holiday special yes. the animated sequence yes CGI is yes. really what it feels like it's it's like imagine that Han Solo with that weird kind of angular face angular face in a 3D he's CGI a, yeah, he's, he's a caricature animation. Yeah, Chewie looks great though. Chewie, yeah, you know. But imagine like instead of fur, you know, thick clay things, and you know, like hunks of fur. You know, he's made up sort of like they would draw him in the comics a lot of times when it came off well. Yeah, and and it's 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 wonderful. You'll 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 see it on. I'll I'll, I'll put a, a link to it up. But oh, it's just 
It's wonderful. It's probably three and a half minutes long. You can watch it on YouTube in 3D too. There's a 3D version of it that you can put your red and blue glasses on and watch. And the 3D is actually very good. You can watch it in HD 3D and uh, it was very enjoyable. Uh, you get to, it's a, it's sort of a, sort of the story of um, the encounter that made them run afoul of Jabba the Hutt, of why they That's had to right. dump yeah. their cargo that they were bringing to Jabba the Hutt. Which doesn't it doesn't fit into continuity really, but it's great. It's a great little just it little self contained yeah. story. And uh extra, extra, extra points. It it gets six out of five stars, it gets an extra star for the voice actor who uh does Han Solo because he nails Harrison Ford. He, nails he totally it. does. I, I've heard a lot of Star Wars um, dramatic readings and a lot of audio dramas and different things and uh, you know some of them are good some of them have been horrible but this one is dead on Harrison uh-huh. Ford I mean it really sounds like him there's a lot of people who get the quality of his voice down but this guy's got the Han Solo attitude you know mm-hmm. just the, the way he the way he says things it, it doesn't sound like an impression it sounds very it's a very natural uh, Kaki Han Solo and it's yeah it's 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 fantastic I watched it like five times in a row when I first found it and sat there in disbelief that this thing wasn't huge that these people weren't like hired by Clone Wars they should be showing like I would love at the end of Clone Wars if there was like a five minute Han Solo adventure at the yeah. end of or just like a, like a five minute Luke Skywalker adventure a five minute you know um, Admiral Akbar adventure. <laughs> I don't know. Probably Anything, not Admiral yeah. Akbar, but it would be that would be cool just to have little things from other time periods, you know, just to throw in there. I, I think maybe uh, you never know. We could see it. There, definitely, uh, um, the new season of Clone Wars is different from the last season, which was different from the season before it. So who knows what we'll see, right, in the future. I mean, if if Lucas wanted to forego live action in this proposed other Star Wars TV show that may or may not ever happen that's supposed to be set in that 19-year gap, and they wanted to go with something like what these guys are putting out, I'd be all for it, yeah. because I was blown be away by it. And you know me, I'm, I haven't been impressed with Star Wars fan films up till now. As a matter of fact, when you sent me the link, I almost didn't click on it, because typically... I just don't enjoy them. I, I watch them and they they, they look cheesy a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. And, but or this you're going not... that, or you're going with a qualifier. You're going that was really good for a fan fan film, right? And this this would be if this would this stands right up to Clone Wars. It does. It looks professional. It looks like it's actually produced by Lucasfilm. Yeah. it's that good. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, definitely check it out. Do you remember what the name of it was? It was like Han Solo and the something something, but I don't remember what it... It is called Star Wars The Solo Adventures. That's right. It's the winner of the prize for best animated fan film at Star Wars Celebration 5 and was presented at 3D during the convention. I wish I could have made it to that. I I still kick myself for not making it to that, but I was kind of broked. That... that accolade was well deserved because (laughs) 
it, it definitely was a, it was uh, students at the Dave School of Digital Arts and Visual Effects in in Orlando, Florida. Awesome. Maybe we'll have to maybe maybe two true freaks can pay a visit to the Dave Studios That's when we're done. That's not a bad Florida. idea. That's not at all a bad idea. We'll have to keep that one on the uh, on the itinerary. That is actually a really good idea. It's fate, man. It's fate. It's Orlando, Florida. <laughs> what? I told you everything cools here. A lot of you know. It's it's funny how much stuff come. You know how much stuff like. All right, so my I'm going down to visit you in Florida. My roommate is is going to visit her parents around Christmas time. Where in Orlando, Florida? So my roommate and our <laughs> third roommate, who's going to be up here for Christmas, he's from Florida, and uh, and everything seems to connect to Florida and Georgia. I don't know. That reminds me. I wanted to. Uh, you just reminded me of something I should have remembered at the beginning of the show with the thank yous and all that. I want to throw out a quick shout out to. Uh, uh, a listener, Kirk Landry, he and his family were recently at uh, Walt Disney World, and we were playing uh, phone text tag the entire time that he was there. And uh, he wanted so bad to meet up, and I wanted to be able to meet up with him, even if it was just you know running into each other on a monorail platform just to shake hands or whatever. Never worked out the whole time, and I felt really, really badly about it. Um, so I, I wanted to just mention to uh, Kirk that. Uh, I'm glad that they still had a good time and all, and I'm, I'm sorry we, that we never got to meet up. But uh, it's just one of those things, you know, I, until I actually got working there, I didn't really know how a lot of things worked logistically and all that. And it's one of these things. For one thing, I, I cannot text or use a, a, a cell phone on the job. It's absolutely forbidden. So, you know, whenever I would check messages or what, you know, it always has to be on a break or a lunch or something like that. And sometimes there would be literally hours between, you know, when I would receive a message and when I could actually answer it back. And then, you know, we, we rotate positions every couple of hours. So I literally never know where I'm going to be from day to day. You know, the general assignment may be something like, you know, Magic Kingdom platform, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to just be there all day long. I mean, I could be anywhere on the loop. So, you know, I wasn't avoiding you, Kirk. It just didn't work out, buddy, and I, I apologize. But I'm I'm really glad that you guys had a good... It, I, I saw the different messages he posted and the pictures and things like that, so it looked like they still had a really excellent time, and I was I was very glad. I'm um, sure there were plenty of other things to see at Disney World besides oh yes, Scott Gardner. <laughs> there, there's a couple <laughs> other things of interest there besides me. Yes, just just a few. Yes, just a few other uh, attractions that are that are almost as awesome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, before we and, uh, and God forbid you ever leave Disney, but when you do, they'll probably have to make a Scott Gardner suit. They're like, everybody wants to see Scott Gardner. We're gonna have to build a suit. <laughs> No, they're gonna they're gonna have an audio animatronic of me. That would be awesome. That's another thing. I gotta see the Hall of Presidents. My roommate says it's. She's like, it's boring now. It was great probably when it first started, but I still want to see the Hall of Presidents. You can do that one all by yourself, sir. That's what that, everybody that's, tells that's, me. Everybody's like, that's, don't bother. No, I lo- no no. Give me don't get me wrong. I love the Hall of Presidents, but I'm I'm boycotting the current version of uh, of the Hall of Presidents, uh-huh. but. That's a subject for a whole. What do you? Different... What do you what, yeah. What do you want? Disney to? D- d- yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we get to be a uh, daring move by on Disney's part, <laughs> I did. I did have one other uh, book to discuss, 
Um, I finally, finally made it through um, Truce at Bakura uh, by Kathy Tears. I listened to the audiobook, and the audiobook was abridged, so maybe there's more in there or something. I've played um, that level on Rogue Squadron. Oh, really? Yes, Bakura? there's a level called Truce at Bakura. Uh, Bakura oh, I didn't that? I can't remember exactly what I had to do on it, but I'm sure it had something. I'm sure it was tied in with that book. Wow, which which version of Rogue Squadron? It was, was an this? it was it was an N64. Oh wow, version that's of Rogue Squadron, one, if I recall. If I'm pretty sure huh. it was the first one. I liked that game. I, I didn't remember that part of it, but yeah, I liked uh, I liked uh, the original Rogue Squadron. I played uh, played the heck out of that one because I always liked the level where you got to wrap up. The, the walkers, you know, when yeah. you were doing the off level and all that. It was the first time it actually looked, you know, realistic as compared to the movies and all, yeah. not like the old, you know, Atari 2600 Battle but for Hawk. I can't remember if it was the second or third version of it, but one of the later versions had a battle over Endor that was ripped right out of the movie. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. I think that was the, uh, the GameCube, or yeah, GameCube, GameCube version, version yeah, wasn't I'm it? Pretty yeah. sure it is, yes. Yeah. But um, I have actually I've tried to read this novel and I've tried to listen to the audiobook several times before and just couldn't ever seem to make it through it because it, the, the basic story in this one, it's literally the next day after Return of the Jedi. And I am I'm not exaggerating. It is the next day. <laughs> they're all hung over. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're all. <laughs> and uh, they get a message um, from the the Bakura planet or system or whatever that this invasionary force has moved in, and it's these guys, these lizard people called the Siruk, and they're there and they're doing their thing and everything. And that was the part of the story that really kind of made it to where I couldn't get through it. That was the schlog part of it, is I didn't like the enemy they fought. And it spent a lot of time going into these guys, you know, how their stupid lizard society worked. And they have this human slave that that a lot of the story was involved with explaining how they were enslaving this guy and mind, you know, messing with his mind and uh, brainwashing him and all just all this like over the top detail that I just felt was unnecessary to the story. But one of the cool elements was that their basic deal was they had come up with this way. They called it entechment, where they could take a human being and they put him in this special chair and they essentially pulled the soul or the life energy, I guess you would say, the life energy of this person out and they could uh, like capture it and hold it. And then they could put it into their machinery. So, hey, like, oh, isn't that what the Skeksis did? And ah, oh, you know what? Now that you say that, didn't yeah. they? Insta- didn't they enslave the what? What should call it? The little elfin, elfin magic creatures? Fraggles. Yeah. The, the, well, they were well, the, fraggles. The one in the movie looks like a fraggle. Anyway, yeah. the one that they do it to looks like a fraggle. But, but yeah, that they would suck their soul out and yeah. leave them as husks that would do their bidding. Well, well, this what this actually killed the people though. This it would kill the body, but then the the life energy was used, and they used them in like battle droids and stuff like that. So like basically all of their technology 
was driven by human life energy. Because Luke, when he finally goes aboard one of their ships, is like freaking out because it was like setting off like his force powers and senses and stuff, and like really freaking him out because he could sense. I don't know. It doesn't like it life energies and stuff. It yeah, seems it, like it, batteries it, would be more efficient. You know, <laughs> would be easier to do. You know, or solar. You know, come on. <laughs> so the the rebels decide that. You know, the war is over, essentially. The Emperor's dead. They're going to go to help out the Bakurans, even though it's an Imperial-controlled world. They're, they're, they go there under a flag of truce to offer their assistance to the embattled Imperials at Bakura to try to fend off this invasion. And elements of the story I found a little hard to follow and it's not like because it was deep it's because it was kind of boring uh-huh and so i couldn't quite understand why they absolutely because there's a part of the thing where they're debating well do we really need to be doing this right now you know it's the day after the death star and leia's got this whole thing she goes into of why they need to do it and i kind of lost me you know it was kind of one of these things where i'm sorry what'd you just say and i just didn't feel like rewinding it yeah so i think it was they decided to do it because if they lent their assistance and defeated the invasion, then maybe there was that much more possibility that the Bakurans would suddenly side with the rebels type of thing. And maybe the Imperials that were there, once they realized that Palpatine was dead and they were fighting a lost cause, maybe that they would give up or defect or go home or something. I'm probably making this book sound worse than it was because actually, having finally finished the thing... It wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, on a scale of one to five, I'd give it about a two and a half, I guess. So it's like a meh. Because well, I was going to say, that... it can't be that great when you're saying stuff like, having finished the thing. <laughs> right. Well, it, because, because the beginning of the book is a real schlock. And my number one problem with it, besides I didn't like the enemy that they that they fought it feels very contrived and it feels more star trek uh -huh. you know trek in than star wars in which is a common complaint i have with these star wars novels they always seem to feel more star trek than star wars to me and as much as i love both franchises i don't like it when they when when my star wars feels like star trek or my star trek feels like star wars i, I like them to be what they are so there was that complaint but also it's too much too soon. I mean, this is literally the next friggin' day, you know? And it's like a whole nother invasion and a whole nother thing. And it's like they don't get any downtime at all. And um, But one element that did kind of win me over and, and push this book from the, from the oh, I don't like this, to, okay, this is actually kind of cool element, was um, Anakin Skywalker appears to Princess Leia. And they actually communicate and they actually have a conversation. I liked that part a lot because... That sounds granted, very interesting. It was really interesting. And granted, this was written at a time well before the prequel trilogy. It still fits. It still really works, even with the author not really knowing who Anakin Skywalker was or would turn out to be once we'd seen him in the prequels it still feels very true the things that he says and the interaction that he has with leia and leia's reaction is very very you know what you would expect she's hostile you know she's pissed you know i mean 
you know, screw the fact that this guy is her biological father. He tortured her. He he killed her. Uh, you know, the guy he that she really considers to be her father, and he blew up an entire planet. You know, not to mention all the other things that he did. You know, between the time he became Darth Vader and the time that he died. You know, and to, to her mind, you know, three yeah, minutes. Yeah, she got singled of, out for. Yeah, she got singled out for a bit of abuse from Darth Vader. Right, sure. yeah. And, you know, despite the fact that he may have died nobly, you know, it, it doesn't undo, you know, half a lifetime of being just a, a completely evil bastard and all the stuff that he did. I liked that. I, you know, that was the part of the book that I would say... It's worth reading the book just to get was to she, that. Was she? Did they have a scene? I would have been if I were her. I would have been pissed at Luke too because Luke, you know, not she wouldn't have been rationally pissed out at him. But think about that. Luke got to have Luke got to have the whole thing where you know he met Vader, was identified, you know, was told I'm your father face to face, and then got to have his whole catharsis by fighting him, defeating him, and then turning him around. So Luke can be at peace with it. Yeah, she got nothing to put herself at peace with with Darth Vader at all. You know, she just got, like, word from Luke. Oh, yeah, you know what? He died, and you know what? He was was all right. Right. (laughs) You know, he was really an all right guy. If you just get past the torture and the murder of your entire family, civilization, culture, and planet. Pretty much, yeah. All she got was one good pot shot at him in Splinter of the Mind's Eye. I mean, she, she, you know, all of her anger and everything is, is directed solely at, at Vader. You know, Luke doesn't really get it. You know, it's really feels, those elements of the story very much feel like, uh, you know, the gang's all back together again, you know, which was nice, you know, to to have, you know, because a lot of Jedi, they were split up. You know, almost the same as they were in uh, in Empire. You know, for most of Empire, they were split up, and a lot of Jedi's the same way. You know, Luke goes off and does his own thing, battling the Emperor and all that, and you've got everybody else, you know, doing their own thing. And this book was kind of, you know, where the old gangs all back together again. So that was that was a nice element to it as well. Um, and we see kind of the beginnings of Luke really being acknowledged as a Jedi Knight, you know, and stepping into that role and all that. There's a little bit of a love interest thing for Luke in this one, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, and a lot of the, the the parts of the book with the uh, with the Imperials and dealing with the guy that they've got there feels a little bit um, I don't want to say cliche, but a little bit, you know, your standard, you know, okay. pompous imperial ass yeah. that, you know, they've got to deal with because, you know, he thinks he's so much better and he looks down his nose at the road. It's very much a, uh, almost like a splinter of the mind's eye kind of feel with what was that guy's Grammel. name? Grammel. Yeah. It feels a lot like that. So it's not an outstanding book, but it's not horrible either. Uh, you know, like I say, now, now that I've, I have actually read it, um, I would recommend it mostly for those parts I talked, you know, the part with with Anakin and uh, and Leia, and uh, and just for you know some more insight into Luke and and you know his being a fledgling Jedi and all that. That part of it was really interesting. Um, the overall plot itself, 
you know, the, the A plot, so to speak, not so much. So anyway, Truce at Bakura by Kathy Tears was that book. So check it out or not. <laughs> Your choice. <laughs> That's pretty much all I got. Well, I have a letter here that refers to it's uh, one of your Star Trek book reviews coming back to haunt you. Not really to bite you in the ass, but coming back Star to haunt Trek you. Star Trek or Star Wars? Wars. Sorry. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and this is from Jason. Hey, guys. I recently got into your show after talking to you guys in Skype, and I've been loving it, especially the Star Wars Monthly Mondays. As a comic book fan, I've become fairly disgruntled with all the rape. Murder, dismemberment, cannibalism, and devil deals at Marvel and DC, so I've been getting back into Star Wars comics, and I love listening to you talk about them, and we love listening to you talking about loving listening to us talk about them. (laughs) Anyway, I want to address something said way back in Star Wars Monthly Monday number one concerning the novel Rogue Planet by Greg Bear. Holy poop, that was a long time ago. That was 26 Star Wars Monthly Mondays ago. Scott, that was like two years two ago, years ago. Right? Scott mentioned hating this book, and while I confess I have not read it, it's by a favorite author of mine. I recall Scott saying something along the lines of it was too technical and kind of dull and almost read more like a Star Trek novel. I believe mm-hmm. I can explain that. See, Greg Bear, who was originally a writer only in his spare time, The man is an astrophysicist, doctorate and everything. To say he writes hard science fiction is an understatement, as when he starts going on about wormholes in quantum physics and faster-than-light travel, he actually knows what he's talking about. He has a great uh, great book called Moving Mars that took me all of last summer to read, despite being a fairly fast reader, because Bear gets very technical, and if you don't pay attention, you quickly get lost. My father once told me the first time he read a novel by Greg Barry, he had to have a dictionary right next to him to follow it. That's how Bear writes, slowly and technically, while Star Wars is meant to be fast-paced and action-oriented. My point is that I think Greg Bear is a good author, but perhaps his style isn't suited towards Star Wars. Sorry for the length of this letter. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Your fellow freak, Jason which means Jason P.S. Feel free to read this on the air. But I would prefer not using my last name. Well, shit, I'll just flip that. I'll bleep that in post. Um, Even though well, you have a rockin' last name, man. <laughs> Although it's not spelled to be it. I had a roommate with your exact same last name, Jason. I wonder if you guys are related. His name was Dan. <laughs> same last name that I can't say. That resembles the name of a famous rocker. Wow! <laughs> but that's well, all I, I got. <laughs> I appreciate the letter. Um, I, I think he kind of answered his own question there at the end. I, I think that the problem was that, yeah, that you know, that's awesome that this guy is, you know, a, a real astrophysicist and you know knows all of his shit when it comes to space and science and all that sort of thing but that doesn't necessarily translate into good star wars in my opinion because star wars isn't really about it, know, it just sounded like it and... it it's not when you go this guy's a real astrophysicist <laughs> do you meet that guy who's a big pain in the astrophysicist <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was just now, granted, this was a couple years ago, and I can't remember a couple of weeks ago, you know, but I just remember not liking that book. And it, isn't that the book where it was like, 
it was like Anakin and or not I don't even think it had Anakin in it. I think that was a Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan book if I remember right. Or maybe it was maybe it was Obi-Wan and young Anakin. I can't god, I can't remember. Anyway, it was a it was a Jedi and then a Padawan. They go to this planet and it was they were like growing starships. You remember this? Yes. They were growing starships and all I can remember is at the end of it the the planet something about the planet left. It was almost like the the planet turned out to be like ego, like ego, the living, the living planet, planet from Marvel. Yes, yeah, yes. and it, and it's in danger or something, and it, it like went into hyperspace and just left at the end of the story. And it's like, I'm sorry, I can accept a lot of things in Star Wars, but when you start to again, when you start to get into the Star Trekian stuff or the the really comic booky stuff, you kind of lose me because that's not. To me, that's not Star Wars. Star Wars is... A little more nuts and bolts, yeah. Yeah, it's ships, and it's shooting stormtroopers, and it's lightsaber battles, and using the Force, and, you know, swinging across chasms. It, it, You know, it's that kind of stuff. It's not wormholes and black holes and and living planets. and, and, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, Galactus and growing starships, and, yeah, that shit just... I don't really even like that stuff in my Star Trek all that much, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. So, yeah, it just didn't work for me. Um, I, I, I like, you know, Star Wars... The, the big difference for me between Star Wars and Star Trek is Star Wars is just, like you say, more nuts and bolts. It's, it's, it's more nuts grounded. and bolts adventure, and Star Trek is exploration. Star Trek is about... Fi- is about wow, the universe is huge and completely insanely diverse and filled with weird shit that we didn't even know existed before. Right, yeah. So that, that's, yeah. The, you know, that's more the purpose of Star Trek is finding this planet. It, what is up with this planet? It's it, actually, Captain, it's a living planet, you know, and that, that right. that's, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, Star Trek is full of anomalies and Star Wars is, you know. In Star Wars, if there's a living planet... It's like something that happens in the back. It's like it should be it. The planet should just fly away at the end of the scene. It should be like the worm that the Millennium Falcon, you know, right, lands yeah. in. it should be just something that pops out and you go, whoa, what the hell was that? No, I guess it was some kind of living planet or something. Well, there it goes, <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> it almost hit those guys. <laughs> Well, well, that's about all I got for this section. I say uh, we take a little break and come back with some Marvel comics. Sounds awesome to me. Oh, it does, does it? Well, it sounds awesome to me, too.
monorail. And now, Your Highness, we will discuss the location of your hidden rebel base. galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome galactic empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Alright, we're back and we're hitting the Star Wars Marvel Comics and we're up to, uh, we're doing two issues this month, uh, the second month in a row that we're only doing two instead of three, but that's sort of to line up the stories right and to maximize your listening pleasure as far as the (laughs) continuity of Marvel Star Wars. So today we're doing issues uh, 58 and 59 and bringing you 58, Mr. Scott Gardner. Why, thank you. We are ribbed for your pleasure. Yeah, starting uh, starting next, uh, whenever... Now, like like Chris said, we may be uh, a little wonky come next month because we're, we're going to be on podcast vacation, but when we uh, again cover Star Wars uh, Marvel Comics after this episode, uh, we will be back to three issues per episode. It was just uh, basically to line us up properly for... Uh, the lead up to return of the Jedi. But anyway, in the meantime, star Wars number 58, this is the uh, April 1982 issue. Now I would have turned what 14. Is that right? Yeah. 14. Oh God almighty. That was a long, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, cover on this one. Beautiful cover by Walt Simonson dated uh, November yeah, I know. I know. Oh, my God. Why'd you have to say that? You're right, though. <laughs> we are literally three times it. 
from back in my day. But uh, <laughs> the cover on this was actually dated by uh, <laughs> November 81. Shows uh, R2 and 3PO floating in space uh, with the Rebel, very much looking like a Battlestar Galactica fleet behind them. It's the ragtag Rebel fleet in orbit around a sun. A lot of orangey color in this uh, in this cover. I really like it. And right off the bat, both this cover and the story that we're going to cover, it kept picking at my brain that it was reminding me of something else, Star Wars, that I had read. And it finally occurred to me what it was, was there was a... Um, uh, a color Russ Manning Star Wars strip that I believe ran in like like a Sunday paper that's come, come to be known as the Constancia Affair and in that one there was a large portion of that story where it starts out with this rebel uh, ship being attacked and blown up by a Star Destroyer and R2 and 3PO wind up free-floating in space for like several pages of the beginning of that story before they finally get picked up by the Millennium Falcon. Do you, do you remember that story at all, Chris? You know what I'm talking about? Vaguely. I Oh, yeah. I, well, I remember um, I remember like vividly the splash frame of one of the strips with R2-D2 and C-3PO floating out in space which was very much sort of a black and white rendition of what we see on the cover here. Right. Except mm-hmm. with a black space star background, right. field background. Very much so. C- and C-3PO maybe tilted at more of an angle. You right. Know, they were sort of squashed into the frame, but it was very much the same sort of thing. Yeah, and they were held and together R2 might have had fire tether. coming out of his hiney, too. I don't remember. <laughs> they were he- held together by a, by a tether that looked... You know, in between, you know, like right in the middle yeah. of the tether was this box that looked like it had two light bulbs sticking out of it. It you're was really right. funny. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I can't remember where that story ends up going from there, but I'll ne- I I have always remembered that image of them just like free floating in space uh-huh. because that was the first time it really occurred to me that well, duh, they're they're droids. They could survive out in space, you know, all alone like that. Are two sort of meant to be out? There. Yeah, meant yeah. to be. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. uh this story is entitled Sundown, and it's written by David Michelini, penciled by Walt Simonson, and they both share a uh, plotting credit on this one. Tom Palmer on the inks, Janice Chang, Chang, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce that last name, uh, on the letters, Don Warfield Colors, Louise Jones, she's listed as editrix rather than editor because, you know, she's female. And then Jim Shooter's listed as Emperor. I get a kick out of that one. So we start out with the Millennium Falcon. It's a beautiful opening uh, splash page, you know, the, the title page of the Millennium Falcon. It's whipping over the surface of uh, the new rebel base planet um, on Arbra, home of the Hujibs. And we see uh, Luke and Lando and Chewie. They're streaking off on some secret mission. They're going... Uh, I don't think they really even says. You got to forgive me, folks. I I did not have time to write up a synopsis ahead of time. I you You're know flailing. I know. I hate that. <laughs> I love having my synopses pre-written before we sit down to do these. And I just I literally ran out of time, so I'm kind of winging it. You got to forgive me on this one. It's okay, I man. I got halfway... all my shit in one sock, so I'll be I'll have a nice <laughs> concise one. Well, I should be at least halfway decent about this because that's what we do on Back to the Bins. We purposely don't write up synopses because that's just not how that show is supposed to work. So 
I, I should have a, well, at least a little yeah, bit of... Yeah, I'm more than confident you'll be able to handle this comic, <laughs> man. So anyway, they're off on a secret mission, and they, they go into hyperspace, and that's almost the last we'll see of them for this issue. We cut to the Rebel base, where we follow a Rebel soldier as he walks, you know, into the, the big crystal lair that they've made their base. And we're privy to some people, as, you know, some rebels as they're leaving a secret meeting and all their reactions to whether they think you know, it's a good plan or a bad plan or whatever, whatever this plan is that they're talking about. Well, the plan turns out to be that they've come up with this idea. And I guess Princess, I don't know if it's Princess Leia's idea, but she's the one that kind of fills us, the reader, in on what the plan is. They have come into possession of these things called uh, Kurtzberg field generators. And I'm going to come back to that in a little while in, in my uh, notes on this issue. They have five of these uh, field generators. And what they to do is generators so that they form a giant pyramid shape. And this pyramid shape will be large enough for the entire rebel fleet to be encased in it. And then they're going to take this pyramid and fly it into Arbra's sun. Um, and they're going to hide the entire fleet in the chromosphere of the sun because they're worried about, you know, all the Imperial patrols and all that. And they don't want to be discovered. So that's the big idea behind this. So as the story progresses, we get some really, really nice art pages of them setting up this whole operation, you know, breaking out the generators, energizing the field. And then I really love the panel of where the pyramid actually is descending into the sun. That's, it's just a beautiful panel. And we see princess Leia very much like she was, um, say like at the end of the first star Wars movie, or even during, you know, the beginnings of the empire strikes back where, you know, we see her at monitor stations, kind of watching the whole operation going on and everything. And everything seems to be going along pretty well. And they get a phone call saying, hey, you know, there's a, an Imperial patrol nosing around Arbra. Uh, we need somebody to, to deal with this situation. So Leia says, well, it looks like you guys have this, you know, under control. Everybody to the shuttle except, you know, the people that are actually required to stay here to run this operation and they all load aboard the shuttle. Well, as R2 and 3PO are headed there, suddenly R2 senses something, and they accidentally end up being left behind when the shuttle leaves. Well, R2 somehow has figured out that the the generator, the top generator, the one that's supposed to keep them tied in orbit, basically, to this sun and, and not flying off into space or something, it's starting to malfunction. Things are going wrong. And during the, the malfunction, um, some you know in the control room, a bunch of the control panels uh, blow up and start emitting fumes, and it knocks out all of the uh, the human or you know, all of the the crew members that are in there. So it's, it only leaves R two and three PO left behind to deal with this situation. And so Leia and uh, all the people that left uh, the pyramid. They head out, they get a communication from R2 and 3PO saying, you know, we're in danger here. Uh, the, the generator is failing and there's every possibility that either the, the pyramid is going to fling off into space or worse, if it fails, the fleet's just going to instantly be incinerated. 
Meanwhile, while all that's going on, we cut back to Luke Lando and Chewbacca, and they arrive at their destination, this giant and very Simon-esque, you know, Walt Simon-y looking spaceship thing. I don't even know how to describe this thing. It's it's a really cool design. It's just very, very, very weird. It's, and it's got called... that Simon globbiness to it. Yeah, yeah. globby. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it's called Bazaar. Now it's not bizarre like Bizarro. It's Bazaar like a like a fair or a or a uh, like a giant flea market. basically what it turns out to be. And they have gone to this thing looking for. Do we know what they're looking for yet, or is that next issue? Anyway, we, they, they've we don't know what they're looking for okay. in this one. I don't think. All right, but they're going shopping. They're going <laughs> garage sailing. So yeah, it's a, yeah, it's essentially what it is. It's like a giant flea market or garage sale type of thing. So we cut back to R two and three PO, and three PO is now rigged up with a jetpack on his back, and he's holding on to R two, who he has wrapped up in basically tin foil, and they're outside the ships. And the idea is that they're going to run a power cable from the malfunctioning generator to one of the large rebel ships in order to kind of shore it up, you know, to, to give it the power it needs to fulfill its purpose before the fleet is going to burn up. But uh, 3PO's rocket pack begins to melt. And when it finally fails, they are streaking on a course that's going to carry them outside of the pyramid to where they're, they'll burn up and incinerate. So back with Leia and the rest of the rebels, they're still in their shuttle and they're monitoring the situation when one of the techs reports to Leia that, you know, according to the computer calculations, um, they have now passed the time where the fleet would have been incinerated. And then we get a great, great panel of Leia reacting, you know, just, you know, doing a, you know, head in her hands, just regretting, you know, the situation and the loss of life and everything. But then, you know, she also, there's a great moment where she just finds her resolve and says, all right, well, we'll, we'll start over again. We'll build more ships and we'll do this and do that. When all of a sudden they get uh, a message from, C-3PO, and it's, it's very, you know, very well written in c 3 you know, the way he would talk. He says, hello, are you there? Yoo-hoo. And I love that. She looks up and smiles and realizes, hey, 3PO is still around, which means, you know, there's hope for the fleet. And he explains that they were able to survive because he ripped a hole in the little tinfoil thing that was protecting R2-D2, allowing R2 to deploy his fire extinguisher and use it as a propulsion unit. And they were able to look to uh, hook up the power cable to the generator and give the generator the extra boost that it needed for power and all that. And the fleet is okay. Yay, lube baths all around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She even says he's going to get a nice, warm, long lube bath. And at the very end of this, Leia turns to uh, the communications person and says, you know, you can cancel the emergency message, you know, that they had tried to send out to uh, Commander Skywalker and the woman, you know, in very dramatic Marvel comic style says, uh, there's nothing to cancel I've been trying to raise the Millennium Falcon ever since your first order, but I've gotten no response. It's like they've simply dropped out of existence. If, yeah, but they're just not in the ship maybe, right now. Yeah, maybe they're, you know, uh, like on the can or something. I'm taking but... a piss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on. What the hell? 
<laughs> dropped out of existence. Way to be melodramatic there, rebel officer. <laughs> well, before we even before we even tackle this, I just uh -huh. have to before we even touch the Star Wars part of this comic, I have to address the inside front cover. <laughs> Which maybe you thought I might not notice, but it's Scotty in a Cracker Jack story. Okay, Scotty, the score is tied. Bases loaded and two outs. Get in there and show them what you're made of. I'll do my best, coach. <laughs> strike one. Cop, what if I strike out? Strike two. You can do it, Scotty. You're a Cracker Jack. Crack. A run. You did it, Scotty. We won the playoffs. What a Cracker Jack! When you're really good, they call you a Cracker Jack. <laughs> so, okay, that's out of the way. We, may, we don't have to speak of that ever again. All right. First off, the the great scene you described with Princess Leia, uh -huh. I have a different take on oh, that. No. How it, it, I took that as, as how arrogant of print for for a for a as soon as it was like all right here's where we're gonna hide the fleet in the sun not me man right, <laughs> i ain't yeah. hiding in the sun yeah no thank you sounds too risky to me i don't know it just doesn't sound like a good place to hide it sounds like too many <laughs> things could go wrong in the sun right but and something did go wrong and she almost lost the fleet so she lost the fleet she's just like it didn't. It couldn't have. I. Oh, oh. All right. We'll start over again. No, no. You should start wondering. Maybe like, maybe am I competent to lead? Because I just right. took out the whole rebel fleet. <laughs> I just put the whole rebel fleet in one place and then put them in the middle of a sun, and now they're burnt up. Maybe I won't be rebel leader after this. Maybe people won't want to. You know, nothing like that. It's like, no. We'll just start over again. <laughs> no question. No question at all. I thought that was a little arrogant of her. Myself, personally. <laughs> but just a minor quibble. I was just like, oh, okay, alright, we'll start over again. And once again, we have a li another little meow moment with Shira Bree yeah. and, and Princess Leia. Get, getting their little barbs in at each other. Um, I noticed something that I hesitate to speak of with that because i you know for those that aren't familiar yeah that that aren't familiar with where this story goes and revelations that will be made maybe maybe you can play mr memory for me chris and maybe down the road um you know remind me to come back to this later on but a comment is made that if I, you know, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I think that if I had read this for the first time just now, I mean, if this had been my first, I think I would have caught this and been like, oh, wait a minute, you know, that that seems like an odd thing to say. But, you know, having read this as a kid, I totally, it went right over my head. You know what I mean? But uh, we'll, we'll have to come back to that a little bit later on because I really don't want to spoil it for anybody who doesn't know, right. you know, where where things are headed with this whole thing. Um, I thought the art in this one was hit and miss for Walt Simonson, and I think some of it might have had to do with the coloring. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think the coloring is very good on this episode, uh, on this issue. Sometimes it 
it makes things very muddy especially in the beginning and sometimes I think some of it looks like maybe they were in a hurry and there's like because there's some panels that are like beautifully rendered and some that seem almost sketchy mm-hmm. it's weird that like the like the random rebel officers all have these weird sort of uh, cartoony faces yeah they're that, that a little more that. cartoony than the main characters faces and they're a little more roundy which it almost I was almost gonna chalk that up to maybe somebody different inking Simonson, but it's not the case at all. Uh, maybe they're making references to other people. There's all sorts of little, like, you know, one of the aliens that's walking down the hallway with, a, like, a lady. And, you know, that lady's gotta be someone's girlfriend or something. And the, and the, and the alien is, of course, saying maps. Now, isn't I that kn- the conehead swear word? I think so. Yeah, I had a note on that. I'm, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what the coneheads would say. But that, they, that seemed to be cussing. a running gag in, in in Marvel Comics after that was aliens saying maps <laughs> at some at some point in there. So I, I always like that seeing it. And it's always maps with a period. It's never like an exclamation. They're just stating it, which I right. always find funny. It's a nice little inside joke, I guess. But uh, generally, I, 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 like this, I like this issue, but... Um, I thought like the writing was a little stronger than the art in this one, and I found in the next one it was just the opposite, but just by a little bit, you know. Right. It it, it wasn't enough to where it was like, it wasn't as sloppy as say the art could have gotten back in the Infantino days on one that maybe they were you know on a on a deadline or something, because that's what I was sort of chalking this up to. Maybe this was on a deadline, and some of it he had to hurry through and you know some of it he could take his time on but i don't know uh, i i I hate to disagree but i think the art's really nice in this one i actually really enjoy the art in well like all the stuff with r2 and 3po is great princess leia is drawn beautifully in this yeah um except for there's one on page not numbered but there's one where she has sort of a weird big chin on some on uh towards the end where uh you know where uh, C-3PO, you know, comes back from the dead when she's smiling up at him. Her face is a little wonky there. Um, the where I was really noticing that I didn't like the art. Well, I love the first opening page. I love any yeah. shot of the fal- the Falcon flying up off a planet. But um, Lando was looking kind of crunchy in in these ones. In the beginning, like the the scene with all the rebels filing out of a room seems sort of hurriedly drawn with no background, and the people are sort of weird. They're all the, walking yeah, weird. They with, don't. I would, they're all out of proportion. Would, There's like yeah, they don't weird. look like you, rebels though. They look like a bunch. They, they look like the 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 cantina just let out or something. Exactly, exactly. And then the next few pages where they're explaining, and the um oh, what was the name of that field again? Too. Uh, the Kurtzberg field generators. Yeah. For one, Kurtzberg is just too Earth-like of a name. Well, you know what it I think too that much is? Like an Earth, is it a reference to somebody, a tribute I, I, I to I couldn't someone? find it. You know, I couldn't find verification on this anywhere, but my guess is this being a Marvel comic that I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying this, I believe it's a reference to Jack Kirby because Jack Kirby's real name was Jacob Kurtzberg. 
So I think oh. it's an homage to Kurt. To well, it Kirby. is sort of a Kirby machine that they're yeah. using yeah. to do this. So okay. Yeah. Okay. So th- yeah, that makes sense. But at the same time, you know, Kurtzberg's, you know, the na- the name of a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn, not somebody from a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. You know what I'm saying? Is is a guy? Who... And and it, it it didn't really take me Are out of it too much. There's not. We can't have Jews in space and Jews in we, Star well, Wars. Uh, well, we obviously can have Jews in space, as proven in in History of the World Part Two, <laughs> the end of History of the World Part One. But I mean, hasn't we Lucas can said that, we that can? But uh, actually, I think technically, actually, actually this should be pre all of that, uh, all of any kind of Earth religion. Yeah, right. so we shouldn't have Jews out in space because this should be before, you know, this was a long time. I, I I'm saying I'm guessing when it, when they say a long time ago, it was probably more than like millennia, you know, three thousand years ago or whatever. So yeah, well. Uh, even so, you know, if, if, even if if there were Jews out in space, I would think they would have they would be named like Zam Walklon or something, you know, or you know, a Star Wars name, you know. That's it, 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 not Irving Wur- Kurtzberg or what, you know, or, or, or whatever. I have nothing against that name. Just it's uh, if it was if if it was the Smith uh, Smithfield too, you know, that would be out of place. Right. There don't seem to be any Smiths or Jones or. Or um, Jacobowski's, <laughs> or anything like that, you know, in in Star Wars world. But you know, whatever. I I I still I like I like the fact that they're giving Jack Kirby a a shout out, and right. since they are using a very and like, there's one picture of it that it, it, just the way there's these two big tubes on on the thing that look, you know, like something Jack Kirby would have drawn. But a lot of those pages, I, th- I have a feeling a lot of this, like with that, with the pyramidal structure, and when they're explaining it, he got to draw some really simple stuff on those pages. You know, not a lot of backgrounds right. and stuff. I just have a feeling. I just got the feeling that maybe it was this was hurried, and plus the way the panels are laid out are a little, you know, they don't flow as well. It's a little awkward. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Don't Maybe I'm it. looking for stuff to 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 criticize <laughs> because I didn't not like this this issue at all. It's it's just that I I was definitely like eh, there's some. Well, I, I again I think this is edging into Star Trek territory. You know, it, it's not completely out of the realm of Star Wars, but just the fact, like you say, you know, they're they're coming up with this gigundus machine to hide the flea inside of a sun. It just doesn't really seem a wars right, concept right. to me, but but I still like it. I mean, a, a lot of it, I know I've said this a million times already, but a lot of it is I, I give this stuff just such a wide pass because, I, you know, I, I, I hold on to it from childhood. Trying to look at it with, with fresh eyes. I mean, yeah, I can I can see some of the silliness in it, but I, I still like it. It's still an interesting concept, but I'm mm-hmm. with you. I mean, I think given the choice, I'd be like, uh, nah, I think I'll wait down on the planet, thanks. Right. You know, I'm not going to go hide inside of a sun. And I think it's... I think there would be people behind the scenes going, she wants us to hide in the sun. <laughs> right. Not behind the sun. No, 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 no. Not behind the sun. In Inside the sun, well, you know, the whole also, fleet. 
is there not some sort of Star Warsian equivalent to the expression of putting all your eggs in one basket? Right, exactly. This thing fails. They're all gonna. That's I mean, it. The entire fleet burns up. You know? Right. It's it's just it's a very tact bad tactical move to make. Yeah, you know? horrible one. The 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 writers were not you know military <laughs> strategy strategy uh, experts for sure. Now I think I caught a goof here, but you tell me. Where is it here? Okay. On the page where she's giving us the rundown on on how this thing works, uh-huh. she says the temperature there... She's talking about the chromosphere, where they're going to hide the fleet. And she says the right. temperature there rarely exceeds 8,000 degrees, which I thought, really? Well, then a little bit later, as, on the page, on the panel that shows the pyramid descending into the sun... Yes, and they're talking in the millions of degrees. Millions. It says uh, 2 million degrees, 3 million degrees, and beyond. I think somebody misplaced some zeros. I think she right. actually meant 8 million degrees. Right. Because 8,000 degrees doesn't seem too hot for the sun. Right. Know? It's pretty okay. damn hot, but... Two big things that jumped out at me right away in this... There's a couple of really give you perspective on these Kurtzberg generators. And keep in mind, there's five of these things. They're freaking ginormous. I mean, they dwarf the the frigates, like the one that we saw at the very end of The Empire Strikes Back, the one that, you know, the Falcon right. was attached to and then it flies away. And, you know, yeah, where are they getting this the budget? Exactly. Where did they get these things? I mean, that needed to be explained in this story. Like, they stole them from somewhere or something. But to just suddenly have these things that I would think you put all five of these together, you're talking something that's comparable in size to, like, a Death Star. You know, where in the world did the Rebels come up with this, you know? So that I would have liked to have been explained. And then this really cracked me up during my synopsis i pur- purposely used the word and then they get a phone call because if you look on that page where the pyramid is inside the sun that uh-huh. dude gets a phone call he's on a phone you see him i mean there's a cord and everything oh good lord he's on a phone I mean, do we uh, correct me if I'm wrong? Do we ever see a, a, a corded phone in Star Wars ever? I, we should never see a corded phone <laughs> in Star Wars ever. When I realized that, I was like, "Wait, wait a minute!" It really cracked me up when I realized. Well, not just a corded that... phone. It's got the it's got the squiggly cord on it. The old school yeah. '80s, you know, come off your wall squiggly cord. Ex- yeah, exactly. It's not even like a like a you know cordless phone or. Yeah, and it's the old handset that's yeah, half huge. the size of your head. Yeah. That that really cracked me up when I when I caught that. Man, I wish these pages were numbered because I had all right. That's page eight, nine, ten. All right, page. Oh, here here is the one. I just I got a kick out of this when the lights fail, and R two and three PO are left alone in the dark. You see, it's just a completely black panel, and you see three PO's two eyes, and then you see three lights for R2, and they're standing there in the dark and say, I have a bad feeling about this. I liked that. That was That's very, very cartoon-like. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, we got some great Chewy dialogue in this one. We've got Vrark! <laughs> We've got Murph! <laughs> I like Murph. Grog! <laughs> My cat says Murph all the time. I 
Murph. <laughs> Let's see, were there some other ones? Maybe that was it. Because there's not much with those guys in this one. No, I think that's it for, for Chewy dialogue. But there were some good ones, though. I, I, I love doing the Chewy dialogue when it comes along. What else have we got? We talked about maps. Um, okay. So R2 and 3PO are out on this mission to try to save the fleet before it burns up and the rocket pack ends up melting. Why but 3PO the... doesn't melt. 3PO doesn't melt. R2 I can forgive because he's wrapped up in tinfoil. What about the power cord? The power cord doesn't melt either. So what is the power cord in 3PO made of that the rocket pack is not? Why doesn't the rocket pack explode when the fuel gets hot that's enough a, yeah, that's to a melt good metal? Too. That's a good point too. So yeah, a little a little bit convenient that only you know the the one thing burns up. But you know, with all of that aside, I I, I can't help it. I still really like this story. I still got a real kick out of it. I, I do enjoy this one. Not my favorite issue, and and granted, it's it's wonky and the story's pretty out there. But I, I still got a kick out of it. Um, couple quick things. Uh, beyond the issue itself, the bullpoint, uh, bullpen bulletins um, had a couple interesting things in it. They announced uh, Marvel's first graphic novel, uh, The Death of Captain Marvel. And uh, I really want to cover that sometime. As a matter of fact, our buddy Shag was telling me the other day that he just finally picked that up. And uh, we, I was telling him we need to do that on like a back to the bins or something. Have you ever, yeah, you've I, read that one, right? I own that comic, yeah. Yeah, we need to all four of us get together, me, you, Shag, and Mike, and we'll do a back to the bins on the yeah. death of Captain Marvel. That's a great book. There's also, a couple of those old graphic novels I wouldn't mind doing. Yeah, there's also mention of a book that you just covered on uh, what was it, Comics Monthly Monday, right? Daredevil 181. Uh huh. Yeah, that was in there, and then I noticed the letters page. We'll have to see if this comes to be true because I thought the Simonson run lasted longer, but it says here, where is it? Where is it? Uh, it's answering a, a, a question here. Something. Oh, it says and keep Walt and Tom. It's talking about Walt Simonson, Tom um, Palmer. It says we'd like to, Dave, but unfortunately, Walt has to leave the penciling chores in another issue or so to take on a special project, uh, or take on special projects like a novel-length one-shot team-up between Marvel's Merry Mutants, the X-Men, and a certain bunch of Titanic teenagers from the competition. What they're talking about is Marvel and DC Presents Number One, which was the X-Men versus the New Teen Titans. Now, I had thought that the Simonson run lasted longer, but we'll have to see if it actually goes beyond, um, you know, much further beyond this. But mm-hmm. I, I thought that it did. I thought that it did, too. Yeah, and then it just dropped a, a vague hint on who the artist might be. And maybe I'm thinking it went further because, as we've said before, you know, uh, Tom Palmer was a, was a beautiful bridge at this point but you know whenever it did change artists that it it wasn't terribly jarring because he did a really nice job of keeping the art style consistent so maybe this is when um uh, ron friends comes in Mm -hmm. because ron friends's style does look a lot like this you know when yes it does actually come on to the book so got anything more on this particular issue nope i'm ready to uh yeah, Move that's on. good. 
That's good because I've only got a uh, less than twenty minutes left. So uh, okay, so I'll uh, I'll <laughs> see I'll see what clock. I can what magic I can uh, do with this. Uh, this is issue number fifty nine from May of nineteen eighty two. Um, now I have a sixty cent version, but I might have uh-huh. had the direct sale and a, a beautiful Simonson cover of Luke and Lando being chased by a kind of disturbingly phallic worm creature it's in in kind of insanely bar- looks like a barbed dildo chasing them across <laughs> the landscape but in beautiful Walt Simonson style my note for that i had Luke and Lando versus centipede because that's yes. what it reminds me of is the old centipede arcade it's, game it's penis penipede <laughs> <laughs> Can they outrun the Pinapede? Do they want to outrun the Pinapede? Find out in Star Wars number 61. So we have, the, uh, just like last issue, we've got Dave Michelini and Walter Simonson sharing plot credits uh, with uh, Michelini as a writer and Simonson doing pencils, Palmer's ink, Rosen letters, um, Don Warfield colors, and uh, a different editor this time, Al Milgram, and, of course, Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. So, um... Uh, we we found out in the last issue that Luke, Chewie, and Lando have gone to the Mall World Bazaar to buy four cobbled together Tie Fighters. It turns out from a seamy merchant named Ferret, and uh, so they've been met by Ferret's hungry asshole security team, who are, seem to be planning to eat them. At, but you know, Ferret comes and says, "No, no, these are customers." So money's exchanged, you know, more or less, and uh, basically Ferret says I've got your TIE Fighters but they're on uh, the garbage planet patch 4 and I've sort of hidden them there after I've cobbled them together from spare parts and uh, you have to take my personal shuttle there to get them so uh, they reluctantly agree to that but of course Ferret plans to like have his shuttle just eject Luke and uh, Lando you know on their way to the garbage planet so he gets to keep their money, keep keep their ship, which would be the Millennium Falcon, and keep his TIE Fighters. So that's his plan, but it, that sort of gets foiled uh, when uh, Luke and Lando leave Chewie behind with the uh, with the dealer and tell him, you know, pop this guy's head off if we're not if we don't, <laughs> you know, report back in an hour. So that sort of puts a, a, a damper on that. So uh, Luke and Lando proceed to the garbage planet and find the TIE Fighters there secreted amongst the garbage, but they're immediately attacked by uh, Ferret's giant worm, um, centipede penis creature. <laughs> and uh, Meanwhile, Ferret's, Ferret's like had a way of dealing with Chewbacca. He sprayed him in this sort of liquid crystal stuff, carbonite style, and frozen him in place. Um, so Luke and Lando, meanwhile, have their hands full with this with this giant worm, but they're rescued by a bunch of what can only be called space hobos, um, who tell them they've they've sort of lived here, they've sort of uh, you know settled here on this garbage planet as their Shangri-La, and they've lived there in in hobo peace until Ferret moved in with his nasty worm, who <laughs> they've decided to call Caesar, Caesar the penis worm, the penis peed. So. Uh, Ferret makes the big mistake of walking up to the frozen Chewie and starting to taunt him while he's there thinking that, you know, 
he's safe and telling him that his friends are now going to be dead and Chewie of course gets enraged and smashes free and uh, um, Ferret tries to escape in a ship but Chewie takes down his escape ship and captures him and uh, Luke meanwhile finds out from the space hobos that Ferret has you know a, a machine on his ship that will subdue the worm so uh, in a sort of comical scene he and Lando, you know, head for the ship and Lando's just about to be wiped out by the worm when the worm sort of like lowers his head and Lando thinking somehow that he's defeated him finds out that Luke has gotten to the ship and activated the the uh penis centipede disabler button and <laughs> uh and saved Lando. So uh so they return to the rebel base with their their tie fighters and uh with the with the with the Luke's ladies waiting for him to come home and uh it seems that the the day is saved and uh they have their four tie fighters for a secret mis- mission which is if i recall what comes up ahead which i i have not read ahead yet but if i recall those four tie fighters actually do figure into a future story. Yes. Yes, so, a very, very big story. Right. Important so story. So, so there's actually a reason for these four. They're more than just a, just a plot device for this one. This one, I thought the art was, was stepped up a little bit in some places. There were still a couple little goofy parts with the with the art, and it, it, it all has to do with people's faces were weird. Well, Ferret's a weird-looking guy with his tiny little head and weird right. proportioned hands and stuff, but, you know, whatever. I'll chalk that up to the variations of space and stuff, but uh, I, I don't know why, but I, I enjoyed this one a little bit more than the last one. Wow. Yeah, That's weird because I have exactly the opposite feeling is I feel like the art stepped down a bit and I felt like the story stepped down a bit. I, what I do like about I thought the story though, definitely stepped down a little bit, but I thought it, it I don't know, it moved along more like I, I, I like, like that the comedy elements in this one really did work though. You know, the, when, when, when they're trying to be funny, it actually does come across as pretty funny. So. Well, I like Ferret's little squid creature that's sort of like yeah. his p- pirate parrot on his shoulder, but it's a little s- green squid. I, I, I like that. He's or a little, you know, it's sort of pre, pre, uh, pre, um, um, salacious, salacious crumb. crumb. Yeah. But I like it. Cause all it says is skeck. It keeps saying skek skek throughout the yeah. whole thing, and at the at the very end when uh, when Ferret is defeated, it's sitting there and it goes skek and he goes, "Oh, do shut up!" I, <laughs> I thought that was funny. That was my my biggest note on this one is Chewie was really gonna do it, man. He had the guy. He's got his his hand on one shoulder. Oh and yeah, he's grabbing the top of the dude's. Head. He was really gonna pull this guy's head off. Yeah, yeah. He had one. Yeah, I mean, he had. You can tell. It's just like it's just like one of us opening a jar of pickles. Yeah, basically. Exactly. Oh, I love that. That's a great panel because yeah, he's really gonna do it. You know, there was no exaggeration. He's even starting to pull his head off in the next panel when when Lando calls him off. That's great. What I like is the guy's resigned to it, too. His last words were going to be, Mother said there'd be days like this. <laughs> Just, And I was thinking, you know, I would 
I would be I would be happy with saying something like that just before my head got pulled off by a large <laughs> furry creature. <laughs> and I was thinking that wouldn't be it for a scoundrel. That wouldn't be a bad way to go out, you know. Just a rush decapitation. But unfortunately, we don't get our decapitation in this. Right we just the- weren't. As many uh-huh. decapitations in the old days of Star Wars, we had to wait till the prequels to get all, to get, you know. Oh, there was the one in in Empire, where yeah. he, he cuts Luke or Luke cuts Vader's, you know, Dream Vader's head off, and mm-hmm. there's got to be still more a of Dream them. decapitation though, man. Yeah, but still, <laughs> it counts. I noticed uh, right from the splash page, the opening splash, that somehow, inexplicably, between the two issues, Lando changed his clothes. But I really like this. I was looking at this and going, wow, I really like that he's not wearing Han's clothes anymore. That's (laughs) Well, plus, I was looking at that going, that reminds me of something, but it took me forever to realize what it was, but it finally hit me. And when it did, I was like, oh, now that's cool. That's the same color scheme as the Boba Fett from the Star Wars animated special. Oh. And I like that, you know? It really looks good. They put an action figure out of that not long ago, of that animated Boba Fett, and that's what made me realize it. I was looking at that going, wait a minute, that's that same outfit. So that looks really cool. I like that. And then... uh, Where was the note here? Oh, okay. Third panel, second page... We see Ferret speaking off panel before he's revealed, and he says, I'm sorry, Quad Low. Now, I read it as Quad Low because that's how it looks like it's spelled. It's Q-U-A-D-L-O. So I would pronounce it Quad Low, but I almost wonder if it's supposed to be Quatlu, like from oh. Star, you know, the money from Star Trek, you know, Quadlus. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. Is that a bit of a stretch, or do you think that no, might I wouldn't know. They seem to like to make... Uh little references and uh, tributes to people and lately it's the same plotters as last one too yeah that's about all I got on this one I love that shot of Chewie on page 4 where uh, where Lando introduces him he says my associate Mr. Chewbacca and Chewie's just got this great look on his face like Uh you know I'll rip your head off look (laughs) I'll kill you page page 13 has has one of the weirdest he looks out. Chewie looks like uh, this doesn't make sense, but it looks like Chewie with a beard. On page thirteen, about ha- uh, right in the middle. Yeah, right in the middle. Yeah, you're right. Here he's got the mumps or something, and his <laughs> his lips are swelled up or something. But <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I don't and know. And he I... looks kind of like he kinda, he he kind of looks like. Bigfoot on page 16 too at the bottom when he's standing in the broken ice. He's got a little bit of that um, yeah, six million dollar man Bigfoot You're look right. to him. But otherwise I thought this was I thought this was, I don't know. I mean when I say I like this one better than the last one, it's just by a pubic hair. You know, it's right. just by a little bit. It wasn't like, wow that one sucked and this one was great. It was just like, ah, I prefer this one a little bit. To, I thought on a whole uh, but judged by the issues coming up on these which I haven't read for years but I know what happens coming up and the ones before it these aren't the strongest of this this golden age but still 
but still like the these being weak are still way better than say you know two years ago <laughs> in star wars marvel if you had a weak issue you know where you have um oh for example um what, now I can't even remember the guy's name because it was so stupid but you know the pacifist guy who lived in the side dimension Sun Child oh god <laughs> you know? that was awful <laughs> we're not gonna we're, we will not be re- revisiting those depths <laughs> we well, I noticed going uh, back to Cody Sun Child <laughs> I noticed that you know, and granted, it would have been hard, and and all of these things are so easy to nitpick in hindsight. But it seems to me sometimes that they really didn't know how to uh, how to deal with Luke, having been trained as a Jedi by Yoda in the last movie. You know, he seems right. very un Jedi like in this. And granted, you know, like I say, you know. From our perspective at this point in the Star Wars uh, timeline, I mean, we didn't know that Yoda would eventually say, well, yeah, you're pretty much a Jedi. I mean, it looked to us like his training had been cut off right in the middle. So we didn't realize how close he really was to being a Jedi. So I I can forgive, you know... Luke's behavior and all, but at the same rate, I've noticed you know, over the past several issues, you know, one of the things that, that Yoda said in Empire was, you know, beware, anger, fear, aggression. Luke expresses all three of those constantly. Anger, yes. fear, and aggression almost every issue. He's getting mad about something. He's getting really, you know, rushing right in with either his blaster or his lightsaber or both and being very aggressive. And a lot of times he's showing a lot of fear. So, it's interesting that he's still behaving very un Jedi like, you know? It's like basically, it seems like the Marvel writers interpreted his Jedi training as all it did was make him more aggressive, you know, more confident and more aggressive. Yeah. Which like he had basically, like, like he had maybe gotten like halfway through basic training, you know? Right, yeah. Uh, on the way to being the Marine, a Marine, right. you know? Exactly. So he was, so, you know, he just got. Just enough to be dangerous, you know. Just enough to to start wondering what his and and when you see what Jedi's of the past did, yeah, Luke really didn't know, didn't have as many tricks in his bag as say Qui Gon and Obi right. and even Obi Wan did when he was his age. Right. Well, I love that it says next issue, share a story. Yeah. That's that's gonna be good, and. uh couple quick things on this one um in the bullpen there was a great story here from uh jim shooter about having gotten together with uh sergio aragones john byrne frank miller and roger stern and they all went out to eat that was a that's a really interesting little story if uh, you guys get time to to check that out and read it i got a real kick out of it. just the thought of those guys all hanging out together and uh-huh. going out to eat that that's you know, love to be a fly on the wall for something like that. There's a little box here, uh, a little acknowledgement from Larry Hama on the passing of Wally Wood. And then, <laughs> just because it caught my eye, the announcement of uh, it, it's in the hype box where they're like, you know, trying to hype up, you know, some of the new things or, you know, what they figure are like the exciting new books coming out. Team America, number one. 
<laughs> Do you remember when that book came out, Team America? Oh, yeah. The motorcycle guys? Oh, yeah. I was actually looking forward to that, if you can believe it. it turned out to be... I, like, I, I remember, bro. That was back when you and I would just buy number ones when they came out. Oh, I yeah. I remember getting that going, wow, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was. I just think as soon as you said Team America, I think, fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't fuck yeah at all. And then I noticed that, uh, you know... They needed they, they needed a little bit of balance when it comes to the letters pages because I can't believe that the entire letters page is nothing but praise for issue number fifty three. Not one not one letter in here going. You know this was shit. You know, and number fifty three for those that don't remember that was the beginning of the. Uh, Leia meets John Carter, Warlord of Mars story that we covered. That you know, yes. that was crap. And I, you know, all of these in here are saying things like, "Wow, you know, George Lucas needs to make this the next movie." And st- yeah, come on, you really, you really, he really does not need to do that at all, no. you moron. That's what I would have said. Yeah, I mean, just nothing but glowing. You know, the one here about <laughs> Star Wars number fifty-three, fantastic. Terrific! The story was great. The colors stunning. Blah blah, blah. and just going on. And I'm thinking, no, dude, did you not read the same issue I did? Because it sucked. <laughs> Hard. Well, there's such a thing as drugs, Scott, and sometimes some people get into some stuff. You know, they don't know what they're doing. They get a little excited about something. You know, that late, later that day, that guy was outside with a dog turd in his hand, going, "Look at this thing." Oh, it smells great. Oh, it's soft. Come here, feel this. It's so soft. It's still warm. So, yeah. You're not right. Ah, uh, but anyway. Hey, it's not me. It's that guy, man. He's not right. Next time around, we'll cover Star Wars uh, 60 through 62, and it's some guaranteed great stuff. Yes. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Twotruefreaks.libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. 
For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.
Future Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.